I'm Patrick Murray. And I'm Cameron Crookston. And this is Video Queens, the show where two queens take a look back at the movies that made them. And this week we watched the Torch Song Trilogy. I get indirect semi-shade. Um, so a really, a fun bit of trivia that's not relatable and I'll probably cut because I get self-conscious. Um, mm. so, uh, I did my PhD on drag. My thesis was on drag queens. Um, yeah. and you know how sometimes in a book, the first page. Dr. Drag. And I'm British or Australian. Was <laughs> or just yelling. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes at the top of a book, they will be kind of like. Like, a quote from something, just to, like, set the tone. You know I don't read. And I don't know if the books that I've read about uh, about people being murdered often start with a quote. Um, but... Are you aware that's yes. a thing? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's a quote at the beginning of a book, like, when you open like it. Like, maybe when you see one of... Like it'll, like, it'll say, to Rebecca, the home is where the heart is. No. Um, Penguin books. <laughs> anyway, um, the first chapter, first page of my thesis, I started with um, his opening monologue where he's like getting ready. Oh, where it's like, yeah. I don't know what he says, but I, where he's like, he talks. So I don't know why. I was like, oh, oh my God. It's what does he say? Um, <laughs> that's your training response. <laughs> um, uh, it's like he's talking about the fact that like. You know, like, for those of you who ain't yet guessed, I'm a female impersonator. Uh, but he's also talking about the fact that, like... Oh, okay, so the Firestein impression needs some work. <laughs> Do you like that it's basically also my Natasha Leone impression? Harvey <laughs> <laughs> Fi... Wait, no. <laughs> no, it's Harvey Firestein. Harvey Firestein. Fi- I got... It's more kind of like that. You sound like someone is strangling an alien child. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> um, anyway, so like, okay, okay, to be honest, the one in my head, this is always, like, I I can go in with all the confidence, like, in my head, it's coming out. And then what comes out is that. Mm-hmm. Ah. Same, same. I'm a female impersonator. Right. Anyway, all that right. is to say Jeff. is this is a very important movie to me, and it, like, started off my thesis. With a quote from it. Great. So it's my baby. Um, so, and as we all know, the first part of a thesis is the thee. <laughs> Which clears room later for the sis. <laughs> hey, sis. Hi, sis. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, and I mean, this is a really great movie, um, and I really encourage anyone listening to watch it. Oh, wait, you fully can't. This is the hardest movie to find, uh, for even, like, you know, first of all, a lot of the game movies we've been watching have been put on YouTube because no one cares to even get the rights because whichever production studio, like, with an office in a bathhouse has just gone bankrupt. No one's looking for those pennies. So, like, everything's just been on YouTube so far. 
Torch Song trilogy is like has been ripped from Cameron's live journal. Like there's like nowhere that is currently housing it. It's not on it's not on iTunes, it's not on Amazon, it's not on YouTube. Nerdflux. It's not on Nerdflux. Um it's nowhere. So now <laughs> dedication employee of the month. I um had to drive to Cameron's to pick up not just a DVD, but also a DVD player that he said, you can keep. And I said, oh. Um, First, I like that the, the narrative is, I lent you something, which is a favor, but you turned it into this, like, Herculean got task it. that I you did. I picked it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Good job. <laughs> it's clever. Um. And the funny thing is, I didn't even need that fucking DVD player because I ended up watching it at my dad's. Bam. Bam. Um, yeah, so because this movie is so hard to find and I wanted to see it, I hadn't seen it in a few years, and I wanted to show it to people, I bought the yeah. DVD two years ago. Mm. And then um, I lent it to Patrick so he could watch it. And about three minutes after handing it to him and he drove away, I realized... I can't watch this now because I've given it to Patrick. So I'm going a little cold. Um, again, I've seen this movie many times, but not in about a year. And I mean, if it was your thee, then I think you have, you will have a pretty good understanding. Of I remember it. like, I don't necessarily remember like every, every like single line. Um, but I like, yeah, I definitely know like my favorite moments, the important parts and, and like the herstory elements. Yeah, and I mean, look, like, let's not beat a dead horse, and um, maybe a lack of knowledge um, will help you with brevity. That is a totally fair uh, thought you had. That's not going to happen. I'm going to be twice as rambly because I'm going to be chasing the thoughts with less conviction. (laughs) Get back here. Yeah. Um, Okay, so a little bit about the plot of Torch Song Trilogy. Uh, First of all, it's a play. Um, I read it a long time ago, and I realized I don't remember it. Um, uh, I mean, because I messaged Cameron being like, that's good. I'm glad because we're... I'm glad we're doing something about AIDS. And he said, "There's that doesn't happen at all in this. And I said, okay. Um, Sorry, one more thing before you do the plot. mm -hmm. I want to just share another peek behind the curtain. Um, so Great. this has been on our list for a while. I don't think we, I don't think we've done yeah. this on air. Um, this has been on our list for a while, and I've brought it up to you a couple of times, and at least <laughs> twice I have said, "Have you seen Tort Song Trilogy?" And you said, "No, but I read the play." And I, with all of the like mean snobbery, yeah. have been like, "Good for you!" Oh, so yeah. surprised and proud that not only you can read, but you chose to. <laughs> but there was no quote at the beginning, so I don't understand. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember I took the, because I took uh, gay and lesbian theater, like theater studies or something oh. in my first, in my second year. Of university so we read this we read like boys in the band um and it's funny like i feel like my professor was like you he was like you mixed with severus snape so like in that he was a teacher he was very tall like pitch black hair kind of looked like a vampire yeah 
and was like obsessed with drag. So it was like, again, like we bought a ticket to gay and lesbian theater studies, but then it very quickly became just about like, he has this huge, like, um, he had all of these like crazy, like underground videos and like was very much obsessed in like the beginning of like drag performance in New York city. What is his name? I know, I know. And I, the funny, this, like, none of this is interesting. We probably should cut the whole thing from the podcast. I don't know. And I thought, oh my God, wait, does Cameron know this person? I wonder, like, what he's doing now. Like, he might be, like, an even bigger deal. Was it Joe Jeffries? Yes. He wrote the recommend one of the recommendations for my book. Oh my God. He is a noted drag historian. That is 100% his name. That's crazy. Because I was going to say, I think his name was Rory Jenkins. <laughs> Your education is so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so so all that is to say, you read the play. Yeah. Um, sorry, you were about to do the plot, and then I, I cut you off, and then we never, then we derailed. Uh, okay, so Torch Song Trilogy is, ah, you guessed it, a trilogy. Um, it is the story of Arnold, the drag queen, um, played by Javi Feierstein. Javi Feierstein. Um, that's honestly pretty good. I know. Great. So, um, the first part is like, Arnold meets this guy, Ed, played by Arnold uh, Her- Huxtaby or something. <laughs> like, like, no. Brian Kerwin, yeah. uh, who was on Roseanne, you're welcome. Okay. So... Arnold meets this guy. They go back to his place. He falls deeply in love with him. That guy is then like, mm, this is going too fast. Also, I'm by. I'm seeing this woman. And then it ends. Then the second part is Arnold is now with Alan, played by a twinkalicious Matthew Broderick. Um, they bang a bunch. And then they're like, let's get a kid. But guess what? It's gay. Then Alan gets killed um, for interfering in a hate crime, which is why if you see something, go home. And uh, and then in the third chapter, um, we see Arnold's uh, mother comes into town and like how their relationship is working. Arnold is now a father to the gay that they adopted. Um, Alan is still dead and Ed is back in the picture, um, as like, and they're figuring things out. So we have the guy from the beginning comes back. Mm -hmm. The mother gets bad. And, uh, and again, Alan is still dead. Um, that was pretty succinct. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, just I, I, I would love to mention a few key figures. So um, the mom, the parents are kind of always in the background. They don't really get to be front and center until the end. Um, but mm-hmm. Ma is played by the incomparable Anne Bancroft. That shook me to my core um, in the way that I was like, I know that name. And I know that's a big name. Um, Do you know who originated the role of this on Broadway? It's no one's sister. Y- <laughs> yes, I do, because uh similar to you, I still have Wikipedia. <laughs> um <laughs> my superpowers are so common. So uh Estelle Getty mm-hmm. 
from AKA Golden Girls Sophia mm-hmm. um, originally played it on Broadway. Uh, yes. Now, do you also know, th- is this on Wikipedia, that in the original Broadway role, um, Matthew Broderick plays the played. boy they adopt? And then when they made the movie, he plays the lover? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but it happened. Well, I think that's fine because do you all did you also realize from Wikipedia that they didn't happen in the same year? No, for sure. That that multiple years went by, so Matthew Broderick probably no longer presented as the 15-year-old adopted boy and maybe made more sense as the 21-year-old Alan. May he rest in peace. Of course. Of course. I'm I'm just saying that as an actor, can you imagine if you did a run of a show and the actor who was playing your son later played your intercourse partner. Um, yes, I can, because none of it's real. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm crazy. And one of them is Ferris Bueller. Like, you're like, oh, this is really inappropriate. My <laughs> biological son from the made-up thing I wrote. <laughs> uh, let's dive into, like, our thoughts and feelings. Yeah. I really loved it. Okay. I, um, yeah, I mean... I think what's, what's like, again, I mean, if we, we can go to the history corner very early. I'm very happy to live there. Um, but yeah, I think what's interesting about this movie historically first, like the post Stonewall era. So this movie is set in the early seventies and I believe it premiered in the like early mid seventies yeah. and then kind of like moved to Broadway in the early eighties. But like it, it very much is like five minutes after Stonewall. Um, yeah. So I think, um, as you were saying off camera, yeah, the fact that uh, I think likely what is really interesting about this movie in the time and certainly maybe part of the appeal in its release is that like Arnold is um, a drag queen. Arnold is like very much a symbol of underground gay club culture. Uh, And yet what he really wants more than anything, one, he's actually quite stable, financially stable. Uh, He's like self-sustaining. He has an apartment. Uh, his parents are always trying to give him money, and he's like, no, I'm fully employed. I actually make more than you. Um, and and yeah, he just wants to settle down and have kids. He doesn't want an open relationship. He doesn't want to go out once he has a partner. He really wants to be a father or mother. Um, <laughs> and this is way pre, like, discussions of gay adoption at, like, a national level. Like, I feel like, again, like, it was like gays could everyone could get fired still mm-hmm. like Harvey fired Steen um, uh, snaps. <laughs> yeah. To have something that's mainly about like settling down mm-hmm. where that wasn't. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. And like, I would, I would have to ask Harvey like what the kind of like logic or strategy was um, of releasing this in the seventies. But just, I think it's definitely like noteworthy and definitely would have been, um, like, I don't know if that's strategic or if that's just a very sincere him kind of, like, talking about his position. Um, but I also really like that it doesn't really make him an outsider amongst queer people. Like, because, like, no. there's something about this. This could have been a very um, Larry Kramer moment. And, like, because Larry Kramer, who's also, like, Larry Kramer who wrote Faggots in the 70s. And then a big theme in the normal heart is that, like, he's not promiscuous and he feels really alienated by his lack of promiscuity and he really resents 
how sex focused gay culture is and arnold doesn't really care what other people want to do he just wants to have a kid i was gonna say and it's less um uh (laughs) for the dumbs out there like it's less of a mambo italiano um where it's the guy being like hey gay culture is so gay um like i just want a normal life like happy wife happy life like kind of thing of like i don't want to be out at the bars or whatever whatever there's you're right there's not that tone of like i want more he just wants to have a family he still performs at a club he still catches a load in a dark room like you know what i mean absolutely um yeah the other thing that I love about this movie, and this is why I like quoted it in my thesis, is the opening scene. So again, this is the early 70s, and there's an opening moment where Harvey Firestein as Arnold basically says, I'm the last of a dying breed. And now that gay liberation has come, people are sick of, like, drag is over, you know? They're going to kind of, like, throw me on the history trash heap. And that was such a belief in the early 70s that drag was done. That after Stonewall, we didn't need drag anymore. No one wanted drag. Um, Like, early libbers really didn't want to be associated with drag. And so it's so funny for us and for, like, me reading these, like, testimonies from the 70s being like, drag is on its last legs. And because obviously drag is, like, so explosively popular now. Um, I just So I just love that little, like, history detail. I love how wrong they were. So um, the first time I saw this movie... I was uh, I was actually on a date with a guy that I was did not really like, but he showed me this movie and I was like, maybe I was wrong about you. I wasn't. Um, but it just kind of like confused my senses. Also, he was really hot, but he was a very unhappy human. But uh, when he, Arnold performs in like a club that is very much like a cabaret space or kind of like, you know, it's the yeah. Copacabana. Like it is a bunch of people uh there's a big stage and people are all seated like little round tables drinking cocktails like no one is standing no one is dancing like you're there to see a show and the guy showing me was like you know back in the day this is what drag shows were and i was kind of like outside of toronto there's still actually a lot of drag but still like this um (laughs) he loved that (laughs) um but yeah so i mean but to this this degree of like of of a performance like the the show they put on in the movie is like everyone you know like they do a full show every night and everyone kind of has their thing uh arnold's yeah. thing is he's the torch song singer and so he sings yeah. there's one number in the movie where he sings um love for sale which is an old jazz standard but he sings it using harvey firestein's voice yeah so it's very like love for sale I don't know if your impression is getting better or if like, or if I'm just like into it. It's just like, it just keeps getting closer and closer. I'm going to look away and you're just going to be Harvey Firestein. Oh yeah. Um, which also Harvey Firestein is someone, especially by watching this, I'm like, I'm so glad you created your own work. Because, like, where was there space for you? Like, it's like, you love musical theater. It's like, clearly he's like a musical singer, but he sounds insane. Like, it's like, like, it's like, but it's still appealing. Like, it's, 
Like, I just, I just kept imagining him, like, going to a cattle call for a musical and then being like, whoa, what? Never. Like, there is absolutely nothing for you in this world. But then it's like, by creating your own work, then people, then it's, then he is in Hairspray later Mm -hmm. and, like, wins a Tony for it, I think. Think Um, Yeah, like, I always, so my first introduction to Harvey Firestein was definitely um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. And, and which I now realize is kind of a nod to this movie because his role is he plays a gay guy who puts Robin Williams in drag. Right. And so, like, our parents would be like, that's the homosexual from the Broadway. He does the wigs. It's, well, it's like, remember when we were saying how RuPaul would, like, pop up and stuff? It's just kind of like, gay! Yeah. It's a gay gay! Because we're doing a gay thing, so we'll get the one gay gay. Totally. Hotel. And I feel like Harvey Firestein was that yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, the- also, I was like, <laughs> when I saw Matthew Broderick, okay, when I saw Matthew Broderick playing like the gay partner, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, like, what an ally. Like, I had this moment of like celebrating Matthew Broderick's wokeness, like he was Vlad at camp showing up straight. And then I'm like, okay, other people are actually doing more brave things in this movie than, like, Matthew Broderick mm-hmm. is just, like, doing it. Um, uh, but, like, still noted, like, come on, Ferris Bueller. Like, Ferris Bueller's gay off. It's good. Um, so, here's a big question. Mm-hmm. This is a big, juicy, fat fucking question. So obviously Arnold has these two lovers in the course of the movie, mm-hmm. um, one living, one dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but who are you team Ed or are you team Alan? Um, I mean, I think the thing is like Alan is a saint who dies. So I'm, to- I mean, I'm a team, the dead one. I'm the pretty, he's the pretty young one who's basically perfect and has no flaws except that he's dead. Um... <laughs> And I, I, mean, I, I love a challenge, so I think we can make it work. <laughs> but yeah, I'm Team Allen. I'm not. I, I understand the appeal of Ed, but, but no. Okay. Did you? Were you Team Ed? Uh, I'm getting a Team Ed vibe from you. I think I was Team Ed. I think I. Well, I was obviously sexually Team Ed. Obviously. Um. Uh. Again, we. We lost me at 21 for, uh, for Alan. Um, uh, which also I will say when they adopted the 15 year old, I'm like, okay, is he six years older than the child he's adopting? Like, I think some years had gone by, but I'm like, he's max 10 years older. Mm -hmm. This is weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ed... I was really gooped when Ed and Arnold had sex on this, like in the second part of the trilogy, there's a thing where like Arnold has met Alan, um, like cute Matthew Broderick and like they're in love and they're going over. They've been invited to Arnold's ex, AKA Ed farm. It's a farm in the country with his, in the country with his girlfriend Laura 
<laughs> I like how you say it slowly because you think maybe I will be able maybe to you'll find fill it. it. In. Yeah. It's Laurel. It's Laurel. It is Laurel? Yeah. Oh my God. I wanted to say Laurel, but I didn't know if I was thinking about the woman at work who wouldn't wear clothes. Um, no follow-up questions. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay. So they go over to Ed and Laurel's farm. And it's kind of this like, oh, like, uh, like they're, they're, all, they're all sniffing each other out mm-hmm. a bit. Um, it's like, oh, like... Is he more interested in this person? The whole thing is fucking weird. Like, as if I would ever do that. Um, but then Ed and Arnold... No. Ed and Alan go for, like, a walk and then fuck. Yeah. And I was like, this is so weird. So, to that I would say, Dead Alan is not flawless. Dead Alan made some questionable choices. That's a good point. And it's also not really clear. It's like, because it, it feels more like a power move than about, I mean, like, I think for Ed, it's about, like, uh, being attracted to young 21-year-old print catalog model. Whoa, dead Alan, bang a ring. Whoa, dead Alan, bang a ring. But yeah, it's not, it's not exactly clear if why alan is doing it if he wants if he's doing it because he wants to see if he can if he's doing it to kind of like show i don't yeah it was never clear it was never clear i think it wasn't super clear for either one of them like i thought alan was a little bit vapid like a little bit just like oh you like it oh okay yeah fuck me hector projector And then when they get home, he's just like, you didn't say I couldn't. <laughs> that feels very 70s. That feels very 70s. Dead. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like for a movie that seems like such a romantic comedy, it's like still gay world where he's kind of like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I know you fucked my ex while I was cleaning up the picnic with Laurel, but eh. We didn't make that clear. We didn't set that boundary. I mean, you have to be very clear. Lesson learned. Um so then, okay, yeah. So we have like a lot of a lot of love story. Mm-hmm. Um and then and then the third part with the mother <sighs> is just like really intense and really like i mean really well acted mm-hmm. really well written and it's the like they're everything kind of coming to a head of like all of the slights arnold's mother has made against it like you know he um he's kind of trying to hide that he's adopted the boy he's ado- that like he he's trying to like keep her out and it all kind of comes to a head. Yeah, like, the mother is, like, it is, like, a very, like, classic to the... It would be a stereotype if Anne Bancroft wasn't such a good actress. So, like... Jewish mother. Jewish, like, this kind of, like, she walks around, like, she is constantly making barbs at him. And then there's a scene in the final part where they're, like, finally getting into it. And she's like, you know what? You live your life, and I don't say anything. I put my fist in my mouth. I don't say a word. And I was like, bitch, you say all the words. 
You say so many words. All yeah. the words. Yeah. You literally yelled uh, when they're both at the they're both at the graves oh of like her husband and Dead Allen. Um and she's like I don't even she's like, I can't believe you would eat, like you would use the family plot for him. And he's like, Don't you think like I don't know what he says, but she's like, How dare you compare your loss to mine because her husband like her husband and the father have died. And and um and uh Arnold is saying the Kaddish, I think I'm saying that right. Uh which is like the Jewish oh, prayer for the dead. Yes. And that's the mom is like, What are you doing? And and Oh yeah, and she's like, Oh You don't God. you can't say that for him and this idea that like Oh and and yeah, because she's like, you know, you can't compare like what you had. Like, I lived with him, my husband, for 40 years. I'm doing the accent. I'm sorry, it's offensive, but I can't stop. Um, you know, I lived with my husband for 40 years. You cannot compare what we had to what you had. And then, like, Arnold comes back with, like, you, your husband died in a nice, clean hospital. Alan was killed in the streets. And they just, oh. And he's like, what? You don't think I set out? Did mine just get perfect? You know why? Because your robot is now becoming from New York. And that's the secret. You need the, the New York reflection. You think I didn't set out a plate for him at the table and wait every night wondering where he went? Okay, now it's amazing. Now yours is better than mine. You've eclipsed me. Ah! That's unusable. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, and yeah, like, I mean, I think the thing is... Ah! Ah! And now you've lost it because you've done the opposite of him. Um, yeah, the last section is just kind of this, like, long, multiple location heated confrontation between the uh between Arnold and Ma and and Ma makes some good points so Ma has a couple of good points that I really like um one is which she says to him you cut me out of your life and then blame me for not being there yeah and it's there's a moment of like okay like did I don't know she was pretty hostile would she really like how inclusive could he have been? But there is this idea that he never really gave her a chance to like get used to shit. And then, and then, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I can't remember because I haven't watched it recently enough, but there's a moment where he kind of, she says something to the effect of like, why do you need my approval? You're a grown man. Even as she's being mm. disapproval and judgmental, she's, um, or disapproving and judgmental. Uh, she kind of says, "Is like you shouldn't need this from me." What I loved was I don't know why, but like they have this huge fight um, in the uh, oh my god, what is that place called where all the graves are? Cemetery. Cemetery. <laughs> the pla- You're the place with like. The sleepy people. So many deads. Yeah. And there's all those like rocks. All the deads. The rocks with the words. The word rocks. Okay. When they leave the cemetery and go home and then like she gets there first and then Arnold comes back and it's like, okay, round two. (laughs) And I loved that they're actually, I don't know why I'm like, oh, because then she was like crying on the bed and she's like, you don't know. And he's like, what ma? And like, it seems like maybe they're going to have. Like, they're not going to have a second fight. They're, this is going to be the, like, the meeting. They're going to, like, hear each other. Mm-hmm. And then they do. And I know that's a silly thing to celebrate, but I was just like, I'm glad that they're still fighting. <laughs> it felt realistic. It did. It felt like there was no... And, like, even at the end, like, there's some understandings. 
reached between the two of them. But like, also, what's the last thing that happens? Like, he like gets a call about the sun or something, and she just leaves. She leaves without saying goodbye. Um, they, they do have a nice yeah. moment where, cause like, cause he on the back burner is he's like Ed is kind of staying with him, and he's not sure if this is gonna work out. And the mom kind of like takes a beat in the middle of their fight to kind of say, I can't actually remember what she said, but she kind of like gives him some advice about like, you know, like, like you make space for people and like people grow and you can tell that she's making an effort to use all of her life experience and apply it to his life. And then he gets a call and she ducks out. Um, She decides I'm going to go. But then, like, he looks out the window, and she's getting into a cab or a bus, and he's like, excuse me? And she does give this, like, you know, this smile goodbye gesture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she she almost, like, kind of blows him a kiss or something. Like, it's like, there's something. There's, yeah. Okay, and I had wondered, uh, because I know you got that face tattoo that says, uh, don't make someone else's coming out about you. Um, and you have it on that t-shirt. It's like you all, like, you know, I mean, any conversation, you're just like, oh, and uh, don't make your coming out. Don't make someone else's coming out about you. So I wondered if you thought this movie did that at all. And I wonder where you get the nerve. Um, when, when did someone make someone else's coming out about them? So Ed, uh, is not out to his family. And Arnold essentially says, like, I'm not going to hide who I am. Like, if... Remember, he kind of says that to him. Like, it's kind of the reason he doesn't want to be with him. Is like... Yes. Great question. And let me explain to you why you're wrong. Um, Here's where I get off. I think there is some... It is is different to say, I don't want to be with someone who's in the closet. Or I don't want to be with someone who demands that I am discreet, scare quotes, about my queerness. Um, I think that is different than when someone does come out to their parents and it's a tense situation, you make it about yourself. That's a really good point. That's why I said that. It's so good. In fact, it was what I was going to say to you if you didn't like that part of the movie. (laughs) Um, why don't we take a break? Let's. And when we come back, we'll say some more words to each other. Words. Let's do the whole. Have some content to do yeah. content, right? You did the whole. Second half, as Harvey Feierstein. Except if I say more than five words like this, it really starts to hurt my throat. Don't you know I set a plate for him every evening? That's your, that's your It's like I have to think of something that he's saying or else it doesn't sound right. Like, I can't just make a noise or else it comes out weird. But now, I am him. <laughs> I'm a female impersonator. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we took the opportunity to just do our Harvey Firestein impersonations at each other. Um... What did you do over the break? Hmm. Please sound off in the comments below. <laughs> um, do you have a problem attic? Uh, a problem in the attic? Um, 
I have like a history in the attic. <laughs> it's not a it seems the attic's closed today. <laughs> do you have a do you have a problem in the attic? I was gonna comment on yours, to be honest. I didn't care, and I decided it was gonna be your box. I didn't know if you were gonna make a thing about the bisexuality. <laughs> what would I want to think about bisexuality? Because you have that other tattoo that says it's not real. No, I'm kidding. No, they're like, um, Ed is bisexual. Um, and there are like some dismissive comments about his bisexuality. Um, so I didn't know if you were going to put that in a box. To be honest, I decided that I didn't care. Um, because I was like, <sighs> again... I'm realizing more. I'm realizing a lot about myself through this podcast, but I'm like, okay, it's all like, I'm having this, this conundrum in my mind where I feel like a problem in the attic, attic, a problem in the attic that makes sense to me is like lack of representation. Um, uh, and, uh, stereotypical characters, a character having a point of view that may that I may not agree with, I don't know if that's a problem in the attic. Because I'm like, that character can think bisexuality isn't authentic or whatever, even though he doesn't really even say that. Um, yeah, I think you're... You know what I mean? But he is also presented as like the hero and the voice of reason. So I was really just mainly looking forward to you bringing it up. So you could poke holes in it, dance around it, and like light it on fire, but just a little... Um, no, I totally agree. Burn the edges. <laughs> I, I think, I think what you're saying too, the idea that like, there is a difference between like, I, I'm going to use like a hyperbolic example to make a point, but it's like, there are really good movies that may have a problem, may have like a racist character in them. And that's very different from a racist movie. If you have like an individual contained character that doesn't necessarily send the same message than if a movie is kind of united or a movie kind of is sending a message that normalizes something. I guess that's the thing is like having a racist character in your okay, movie because, does not normalize racism. Yes, because like, I don't think anyone was going to cancel Sarah Paulson for saying the N word in 12 years a slave, but I am concerned about like Tiki in uh, another gay movie. Because like that not... feels way more racist. Cause like, Sarah Paulson is playing a racist yeah. person. Yes, because in 12 Years a Slave, we're supposed to hate Sarah Paulson. But in another gay movie, we're supposed to think Tiki is funny. Yeah, we're supposed to laugh at her. Yeah. Um, so, to your point, we did not watch either of those movies this week, incidentally. We're probably never going to watch 12 Years a Slave in this podcast. So I'm just going to put it out there. Um, just because... <laughs> um, yeah, I no, I, I don't think the um, Ed's... The, the, the kind of the casual uh, biphobic comments around Ed are problematic because I think the thing is that, like, prejudice around bisexual people exists, so I think that's a reality. Yeah. Um, I also actually, I actually kind of like the way Ed's bisexuality is presented only because initially he is kind of represented much more as just kind of being half in the closet. I was going to say also the fact that Ed doesn't back. It's not that Ed realized. It's not like Ed at the end is like, oh, you're right. I was just gay all along. Yeah. He's like still bi and like 
had a relationship with a man and then had a relationship with a woman yeah. and then had a relationship with a man. I think that's the, when it sells it. Because, yeah, like, in the first story, it's like, he's clearly into Arnold, but he doesn't want to be gay. He And he's kind of cheating with Laurel. And it seems more like he's living a double life. And it's presented that Laurel is the lie. And, yeah, we're, we're yeah. kind of, it, it is. Lyral. Lyral. Um, it's implied that when he finally comes out, he realized he's just gay. But in the third part, um, the Trill in Trilogy, when he comes out, he realizes, like, no, I'm just fully bisexual. And I think that's actually, like, fairly affirming. So I like that. So then is the middle part low and the end part is G? You're overthinking this. Which is a new thing for you. Because normally I would say think more, but you've actually gone past it. Now you need to, like, scale it back. Um. Uh, great. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. Then, do you have a problem in your? Oh, wait. Yeah, you have a history in the attic. I have a history in the attic, and like again, like I don't have a problem with it in this movie, but I think just something to be aware of, and this is something people are very critical of, um, like in the kind of twenty first century movies, is that for like the majority of the twentieth century, uh, gay stories ended with death. If you were going to have a character, if basically that queer people could not be happy in movies. They were either villains who had to be defeated, or if you had sympathetic portrayals of gay characters, you had to have them, um, at least one of them die and the other one kind of be miserable. Um, Arnold doesn't end up completely miserable, but there is this idea that like, it, it is something of a cliche that I think verges on problematic that a gay story always has to uh, climax with someone dying. And I think that's just, again, like, in the late 80s, I don't know if this is much of a sore spot, and certainly I think there's, like, we could get into the history and, like, the reasons behind it, but I think um, this is just like, an example of that trend, and I think, you know, yeah. to all of our listeners who are making blockbuster gay movies or independent gay films or writing gay novels, don't feel the need to put that in and to kind of, like, write against that history. But if you are a problematic director, just know that I have no morals and I will play the dead gay. I'll be, whoa, dead, Alan. Um, uh, happy to be. Or I can be the 15-year-old boy. <laughs> Yikes. Um, uh, the other thing I wanted to say just along history, um, yeah. because we are... So because this is an adaptation... And for those of you playing at home, you've probably realized that our little drag movie marathon is we're going kind of in, like, chronological order. And we've been kind of, like, hitting different decades. <laughs> so, did you realize that? Some of us on the podcast are just realizing did you, you did not realize that we've been going... No! So, the first movie we did uh, <laughs> was from the, the 60s. And then we did a movie from the early 70s, then the late 70s, and now it's the late 80s. Um, and then we're doing the 90s next week okay wait because we did the queen prince queen queen 68. right then we did uh pink flamingos which is 72 and then we did outrageous which is 77 and now it's the late 80s and eight is a bigger number great than seven um which is interesting because this isn't really a late 80s movie. Like, it is. It was released. like, But, like, because it was written in the 70s, again, there's, like, 
no, like, AIDS has not happened yet. Right. Yes. Which is always, um, uh, even when you're talking about, like, uh, you know, gay death in movies and everything, like, especially when, um, when we watch, a lot of times when we watch movies set in the 80s or set, like, it's like, there's like this anxiety in your chest over like, when's it coming? Right. Like, like it's like a lot of, which is, which has been really great to take a look at these movies because like, it's, it's the, it's the first, it's like if the first 20 minutes of the movie was a full movie, because there's always the kind of like, we're all having fun and we're going to fire Island. And then it's like, <laughs> and then it all goes like bad. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just think of like Jonathan Groff dying on the beach in Fire Island. Um, uh, so like this is like, oh no, they're like, (laughs) there's more going on in that time than just like, just uh, is than just like the first, uh, the first few minutes of a horror movie. Right. Like, um, there, there are other problems and other things going on. Um, so it's been nice to see. It was like when he went into the dark room, I got a little bit like, but it's not so weird. Like, it's just like, I'm so used to like movies set in this time. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But I didn't know we were doing them by decade. So we're going in order. I, I thought you knew i thought we were on the same page but thank you for staying with the tour and just letting me micromanage the order (laughs) um but but all that is to say um the interesting thing is because this is a play from the 70s and then early 80s and then a movie in the late 80s and so this tracks a really interesting point in the kind of like slow build of drag becoming popular because um so, like, as we saw, um, in the 70s, there is something, like, so the 70s gives us the movies of John Waters. It also gives us Rocky Horror. And so there is this kind of burst of, because, like, cinema in the 70s in general was much more interested in kind of being edgy and doing things that were, like, totally against classic Hollywood, um, some underground queer uh, artists did get some attention. And then I think a combination of that and just the kind of, like, general advancement of gay culture after Stonewall in the 70s in the 80s we start to also get a couple of like indirect echoes of drag becoming a thing so we get like Tootsie in the early 80s we get Victor Victoria um and Mm. then Harvey Firestein does this and he also adapts the French film La Cage à Folle for Broadway in the 80s um hairspray also is in the 80s so we start to get these like little seedlings of of drag and queerness happening and towards the late 80s early 90s uh which is basically the the moment in torchong is in um there starts to be um uh it's called new queer cinema and it's this moment where a lot of like independent uh, festival circuits start premiering um uh movies about queer people that's also where um Paris is Burning comes out of. Uh, And that's basically the reason that gay culture and drag in particular become really popular in the 90s. 
Um, because anytime kind of like indie circles do something, the mainstream responds with their own like version of it. <sighs> and so as a response to everything happening in kind of indie um, uh, festivals in the late 80s, early 90s, that kind of gives the world um, RuPaul's basically whole career um priscilla queen of the desert to wong fu the birdcage will and grace queer eye um it's kind of the reason that we get kind of a mainstreaming of gay culture in the 90s and that is basically a slow burn that leads all the way to drag race work you should like teach that <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, so I mean, this movie is is straddling, because it straddles two decades and it straddles a very interesting time of a transition. Um, it also, I feel like, straddles uh, production. Like, I think this was produced by, like, New Line Cinemas. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's been interesting seeing uh, the different queer movies we have where you're like, oh, okay, like, we have someone with money starting like we have people with money kind of entering the fray Mm -hmm. and like maybe new line cinemas wasn't as like it wasn't a huge studio um but like you're starting to see um some money go into these things of course it certainly didn't hurt it that it was like on stage one tony's like i think that's the thing is that like and like yeah like Anne bancroft was a major um you know actor so they had like yeah they had mainstream talent and i think that's the thing is that like because broadway had kind of like opened the door a creek for a show like this and it had kind of like tested itself like off broadway and then did kind of blow up on broadway that that lets a studio or like kind of entices a studio to kind of take a chance with it yeah um yeah it's like well what's the like like what's everyone talking about uh what's all the buzz about this thing um and maybe we can just turn it into something mm-hmm. um that's really interesting mm-hmm. um uh the other the other fun detail is that uh there is a real actual i mean harry firestein is a real drag queen but uh, one of the drag queens who works at the bar with Harvey Firestein is like a real, um, like legendary New York drag queen that Harvey apparently like fought really hard to get cast. Which one? Um, the the best friend or not the best friend? Uh, no, the older one who does Betty Davis. His name is Charles Pierce. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his drag name in this is Bertha Venation. Yeah. Work. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he he. He shows up in a lot of drag books. Uh, he was a legendary, and he's like very much. I mean, he's interesting because his career spans pre and post Stonewall, so he is that kind of like old school performer. He does old Hollywood impersonations. Um, yeah, love that. Yeah. If you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. Hmm. If you're lucky. Oh. Uh, any any like little last bits or favorite moments that you just want to dip a toe in before? Um, we go? Uh, a couple last bits. Um, I love uh, how embarrassing it is to have uh, a sign in celebration that says "Happy Two Week Anniversary." That's something that Arnold throws for Ed when he starts dating him. That just tickled me. Uh, 
I like when the mom says that she's going to see an off-Broadway play, and she says, it's it's experimental. They keep their clothes on. <laughs> That's just a great line. Oh, when, uh, when Harvey Firestein looks at Matthew Broderick sleeping, and he says, if you have an IQ over 30, there is no God. That's good. And I also like that uh, when Ed shows up at the drag bar to talk to Arnold and he's like, or like, so I think maybe Matthew or one of them shows up at the drag bar and is like, can we talk? I brought you flowers or whatever. And then after a couple of minutes, one of the other drag queens just goes, hello, I'm another person in the room. <laughs> and I thought, if that isn't gay culture, <laughs> like I, I, truly, I was like, I want to take that confidence. Like the number of time I've spent being like, just standing there while someone is like, I'm just going to talk to the person you're standing beside and pretend you don't exist to just say, hello, I'm another person in the room. You should use that line. It's a good line. I know it's a good line. So uh, I encourage everyone to take that with them. What about you? Um, Just like one detail that I really love that's never explained, but it's just like precious is um, uh, Arnold's apartment is decorated with, um, bunnies everywhere there's like a really heavy bunny motif in all of his decor and a lot of his like kitchen stuff uh is all bunny themed and uh in the in the last section where he's um you know he's got a son and his son calls him ma uh he's we see him in bunny slippers and when the mom comes to visit she also wears bunny slippers yeah and i really it's like I mean, I think that is what's a little often heartbreaking about these kind of, like, tense situations with homophobic or just, like, bigoted uh, or narrow-minded mothers. Is that it's, like, if you could get past this, you would be best fucking friends. Because you're so alike. And... Yes. Yeah. And, like, this person has lived their life looking up to you and like just like admiring you and becoming you i mean one thing that that i've i feel like i've seen this more and more on drag race recently and i wonder like i would love to like hear more about this from non-drag race queens is the amount of queens who cite their mothers as inspiration for their drag yeah um because yeah i think there's a i think there's a reading of this movie where ma is very much an inspiration for um for Arnold, like both on and off stage, and he kind of you can kind of see that he models himself after her just in his like she's this like hard headed, brash, you know, kick ass lady. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. We hope you uh if you like this episode, please leave us a review. It helps people find us. If you'd like to send us an email... Oh, I've lost it. I've lost... I gave it to you. I gave it to you. <laughs> I took it. Um, yeah, if you would like to send us an email, you can email us at videoqueenspod at gmail.com. We take movie suggestions. We take comments. We take just greetings. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at videoqueenspod or Instagram at videoqueenspod. Yeah, and so join us next week. It is our very last installment of our Pride Drag Movie Marathon, and we have a special treat. A special double duty. Can we call it double feature instead of duty? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, stay tuned next week for our uh, late night double feature picture show. It's It'll be our grand finale, and we can't wait to see you there. Bye. Bye.